Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. That's you guys. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good, Bruce. It's it, I, I, like I have good days and bad days during the pandemic, and a good day is when I both um, do when I both do hard physical exercise, outs, aerobic work outside, and when I lift weights inside. So if I do both those things, and usually I only do one, I don't have mm-hmm. the energy for one at the time or whatever, I just work. But if I do both in a day, I feel great at, at the end of the day. So I'm feeling pretty good right now. Got both putting, ha- putting hair on your head, David. <laughs> All that exercise. Jesus, well, everywhere, on my, man. It's not on my face, on my cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just, it's you know, I don't know about you. And I, I, I wonder if this is a lot. And I know that you've been walking a lot more. I wonder yeah. if a lot of people have been able to. This has been an interesting pause in a lot of ways. You know, it's like a, to, to think about your life, where it's headed, where it's going to be going the next 10, 15, 20 years, if we're lucky, you and I. And um, and how it's going to turn out. And I just, it's it's been that kind of moment for all of us. And uh, did you feel the same way? Time for reflection. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I ponder that kind of thing every day. And part of, part of my thing is the, the, the realization that we're not guaranteed 10 or 15 or 20 years. We're not necessarily guaranteed that many days. The way this virus has come up and, and uh, snatched away people. And so I'm just trying to make the most of each day as it comes and uh, uh, make sure I get out into the world and uh, and appreciate appreciate some of the fine details. Today I got to appreciate my first time trapped out in a uh, severe weather event. That was fun. There was a full-blown thunderstorm going on while I was uh, about two and a half kilometers from home. So I sort of camped out in a relatively dry spot and waited out the worst of it. I still got soaked, but I didn't sort of, rather than get pelted with rain, I just sort of got dripped on through the trees, and I, I did get soaked, but it was kind of exciting to be out there with all that noise. <laughs> it can be, the force of nature. Well, Bruce, you, you take care of yourself, Bruce McCurdy. I don't know what we do without do you, so you you take care of yourself, my friend. I try and do that. <laughs> this is your, what kind of beer is that again, Bruce? Prince of Darkness, Coffee Stout. I limit myself always to a maximum of one beer a day, usually more often zero than one, but I do have one once in a while, but only ever one. And today it's a Prince of Darkness coffee stout. What's not to like? Now that will put hair on your chest and your head <laughs> and everywhere on your body, Bruce. You know, the, this time of reflection, uh, you know, the, the one thing, the one um, uh, thing that I didn't anticipate uh, what in this was when I heard that there was going to be NHL NHLPA negotiations, I was damn worried. I suddenly mm-hmm. like my I had been so optimistic about the playoffs this summer. As soon as I heard that, I had a moment of doubt. Not about that the, they could stage the playoffs. Of course they could. I always thought this, but man, but I think the players and the owners had a moment of reflection too, Bruce, yeah. and a really serious moment. And they realized we cannot screw over our fans again. We yep. cannot screw over. We we've got to, we've got to be adults here for once. I might add, well, maybe that's yeah. too harsh, but uh, sigh. Uh, but we've got to. We can't be the greedy guy this time. We can't be the greedy group. And they both can be greedy in their different ways. And I think that they set that aside, and they good for them. You know, and they not only came up with a deal, Bruce, that 
obviously makes sense for both sides. They're back in the Olympics, which is huge mm-hmm. for f- hockey fans. You know, that's all we, what we got out of it was, you know, we get to see, watch them play hockey, but we also got them in the Olympics. And I just hated them being out of the Olympics. I love best on best tournaments, you know, where there's no gimmick teams and where it's, it is the best of best. We won't rail on about that again, but um, so I, I think there was a moment of reflection there too. That really paid off. Yeah. Well, yeah, they just, I think they all realized they just couldn't afford to, to try and bring hockey back in 2021 and then bring on the new team and already there to be sort of uh, rumblings about, uh, you know, CBA and, uh, you know, how in the past lockouts, the three of them, uh, each time there was sort of this sense of foreboding for months upon months before it ever actually got to, to the, um, uh, the lockout itself. And I mean, uh, with, I mean, that would have been a crappy way for the new team to try and come into the league, you know, with those kind of doubts hanging over it. And as I've said here more than once, you know, the NHL has already experienced its work stoppage for the 2020s and we're in it right now. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's just not a stoppage of their own doing, but because it's happened, they can't afford another one. They got to, they got to pick up and, and start playing hockey and, and, and stick, you know, stick to the script for a few years while, uh, getting it, uh, you know, getting, getting us back together. So my faith has been restored to, maybe those are strong words, but, you know, that there is a way forward that doesn't involve, uh, you know, catastrophic, uh, you know, uh, end game scenarios. So this time, that I, think the, I think the return to play was a, the player's big negotiating card, frankly, and they used it. And they got some fairly favorable terms this time and the owners got what they wanted which was the guys coming back and playing hockey this summer now speaking of the return to play there was a little bit of trepidation there was a lot of trepidation um about a month ago during the first phase when players came back to training camps there was at least 20 positive tests at that time Mm -hmm. there's a lot of trepidation we've seen other sports where there's been problems mls soccer there's an nba lots of positive tests individual athletes Although we've also seen in Europe with European football um, leagues that have gone very well. My feeling a month ago when this happened, when, when there was all these positive tests, was not, not necessarily, I was, it was more than I had expected, but it was not unexpected. You know, you were going to get a number of tests at that point. Right. But I thought they would learn from it. I thought they would get more serious and they would tighten up their protocols and they would get better at it. And I think that's what happened. I think it's probably safe to say at this point that's what happened because when they did the testing on Monday and I was bitching that they weren't releasing the results, I was incorrect right. about that. They had, they had, it, as I was bitching, they, they were releasing the results. Um, anyway, they, uh, only two positive tests, Bruce, which I think is beyond anyone's imagining in terms of how few tests, how few positive yeah, tests are going to be. Were you? So tell me about your reaction, because you, you've always been a bit more pessimistic, I think, about the whole I, enterprise. I've been very pessimistic about phase three in particular. I've always thought that if they can get them here and under the bubble and through the quarantine and so on, that probably should be fine. But the phase three with the 24 teams in the 24 different places and the, uh, you know, the, they're, they're not in bubbles anywhere. They go home to their families and somebody in their families interacts with the community and so on that uh, I thought there would be, uh, I thought there would be issues. And fortunately there have, uh, well, to have only two out of 800 players and over 2000 tests, you know, 
I mean, it's 0.1% of the tests and only 0.25% uh, of the players. And routinely, we're seeing populations as a whole testing in the double-digit double percents in some American states. Here's my third prediction, my third big prediction of this whole thing, Bruce. The first one was that they were going to have playoffs. The second one is they're going to learn from their mistakes, have fewer tests. The third one is by the end of this, people are going to be saying this was the best playoff year ever. And I, I think people are going to be saying that because I think this is going to be more meaningful. It's going to be, it's going to hit us in a different way, in a strange way, watching this, this whole thing unfold uh, in a way that that uh, is maybe hard to to understand right now. But I just think the fact that we're, this is a sign of life, that the world's getting on with things. I think that's going to be meaningful uh, for people to see. This is a very tangible example of that, and we've had other ones, businesses opening up. Mm -hmm. But this could be like the first time, I don't know if you experienced this, like like my friend, I, my high school friends and I, I, I've got some very close friends from high school still. About a month into it, we all got together on uh, Skype all together at once. And it was just profound. Like it was such a moving experience. And I think mm -hmm. hockey is going to have that, you know, seeing our old friends, so to speak, on the ice and then watching them compete and just getting back into it and having this distraction that we all so desperately need from the politics, from the debates, from the, the turmoil in the United States of America, thankfully not so much in Canada. I just think this is going to be uh, a great deal of fun, more fun than we've had in a long time, and that's going to really hit us. So there you go. Yeah, well, I sure hope so. I mean, there's going to be elements of weirdness to it. I mean, starting the playoffs in August being obviously number one and, and – uh, you know, the, just the circumstances of the teams being in the bubble, the expanded playoffs, the no fans. Like, there, there's going to be a lot of things that seem strange because they're going to be strange. But just seeing, you know, grown men pursuing little black puck with with sticks, you know, it's just, it's just going to be fun to, to re-experience that. And to uh, once they start to uh, uh, play games in earnest, uh, it should be great. Connor McDavid made a somewhat controversial comment this week. He was asked about whether Leon Dreisaitl should win the Lester Pearson Awards and the Hart Trophy Award, both for one for the most outstanding player and the other for the most valuable player. And his quote is, quote, he probably should, but I don't have a lot of faith in the media voting, so I don't know who is going to win, but it should be Leon. I think the players will get it right and they'll vote Leon, but you never know with that media. <laughs> and, you know, Maddie was, Matt, Jim Matheson of the Juro was on a second later and took it in good graces and kind of laughed about it and McDavid laughed about it. So it was said in jest on yeah, a certain yeah, it level. It sounded like a jest, but it, it, sounded sounded like a jest. It, was, it was a barb. It was definitely a barb. It was a barb. What do you think about the, how do you think the media, how do you think both the players and the media do in terms of picking the best player, Bruce, however you want to frame it, most valuable, most outstanding. This is always a matter of debate. Do, right. does it, do you have a complaint with either, or what do you think What do you think they're, of it? They're voting on two different things, uh, and they have different criteria for, for voting. Like, I mean, there is a difference between outstanding and most outstanding and most valuable. There's a hell of a lot of overlap between the two, um, but they're 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 voting on on different things. The players don't seem to have any such uh, concerns about whether a team made the playoffs or not. 
for a guy is eligible, like they had no problem voting McDavid for the Pearson in 2018 when the writers didn't even put him in the top three. This is a year that McDavid won the scoring championship with 108 points, and he was completely left off of the, you know, even, even as a finalist for the Hart Trophy, and the players did vote for him for the Pearson Trophy. So I have little doubt that that was probably the the one that was on his mind when he uh, tossed out that barb. And he also may have a little bit of, uh, of uh, harbor, a little bit of a grudge for the uh, Calder Trophy voting four years ago. That yeah. He, you know, he played three months. He was NHL Player of the Month all three months. He was hurt, and they voted for, you know, an outstanding rookie in our team, Panarin. But uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, McDavid has... Uh, come out a little bit on the short side, one would suggest, on a, on a couple of honours over the few years that he's been around. He's done pretty well for himself, though. Yeah, and he will again. Uh, I don't really... Like, I just think... I think he, I think he's right to be upset. I think, you know, um, the year that Taylor Hall won, I don't think Taylor Hall was the most valuable player in the NHL that year. I think Connor McDavid was a much more valuable... Like, was, was a notch ahead of him. And I think other players were as well. I think that the, the writers... Um, they love narrative and they seem they, 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 they it's what they do they're writers they love a good story and I'll tell you what Bruce we saw it this year so it, let, I'll just start with 2017-18 though I mean the three finalists were Anzi Kopitar Nathan McKinnon and um, Taylor Hall all three of them came in on teams that had done poorly the year before and they all were teams that battled hard into the playoffs and they were the leading men in those battles all three of those players mm-hmm. and the writers loved that story but it doesn't just because you know you're the best player on a team that scrapes its way into the playoffs doesn't make you the most valuable player. It gives you maybe the most compelling story. Mm-hmm. But but that year, I mean, McDavid uh, he had 108 points. Um, Clojure had 102 points. Malkin had 98. Kucherov 90. I mean, Taylor Hall had 93. That's a that's about that's 10 percent less. You know, that's that's or more in in McDavid's case. That's a significant drop in point production. And Taylor Hall's not winning that award with his defense, all due respect to Taylor Hall. So I don't, you know, I don't see him being a more valuable player than any of those guys. And, um, you know, fast forward to this year, Leon Dreisaitl is leading the league in scoring all the way through the season. And his name is not mentioned. In mid-February, Bruce, three gambling sites, three gambling sites put their 10 guys who you can make a bet on to win the MVP. This is one month before the end of the season. Leon Dreisaitl's name was not on those lists. And he was he leading was not, the league by 10 points. He something. was not even seen as a contender because he was on the same team with McDavid and there's no story there. There's no, you know, he, at that point, everyone, like, you know, the naysayers, what I will say, the naysayers narrative on Leon Dreisaitl dominates the league. And that's that he can't drive his own line and he feeds off McDavid and he's a shooter, which some people have said to this very week, uh, Mika Blake McCurdy, uh, kind of rode off Dreisaitl is just a shooter. That's all. That's what he is, a pure shooter. So that was the narrative at the time, and he had no chance of winning it. Suddenly, McDavid misses six games, and Dreisaitl goes from having zero chance to being, by the end of those six games, the front runner to win it. And all it, all it had to change was he had to get over that narrative. It's not like he changed as a player a whole lot. Yes, he played very well in those six games. Six games, I think he had 10 points. Uh, 12 points and he was a th- in the three wins they had three wins um overtime loss and and two other losses 
I think he he was the th- the first star in the three wins. Yes. So he played very well in that stretch. But he had played very well in big games all year long, and he had yep. been leading the league all year long. Mm-hmm. But what changed was the narrative, mm-hmm. and that's what the writers in the NHL go on is the narrative. And suddenly the narrative was, oh, Leon Dreisel can drive his own line, and suddenly he is the 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 main leading man on a on a team scraping its way into the playoffs that wasn't expected to be there. Oh, yeah, I guess he's the MVP after all. <laughs> we'll see, but he got at least he got votes this time because he got into the top three. You know, last year, Leon was the first player in seven years to score fifty goals and a hundred points in the same season. First guy in seven years to do it. Last guy who did it, Jenny Malkin, in 2011-12, won the Hart Trophy with 99 percent of the possible votes. And in 2018-19, with 50 goals and 55 assists, Leon Dreisaitl received zero first place, zero second place, zero third place, zero fourth place, and zero fifth place votes for the Hart Trophy. He didn't get a single vote, not even a consolation fifth place vote did he get. It was just shocking. It was like, well, Edmonton didn't make the playoffs, and he's got McDavid on his line. I mean, anywhere could score 50 playing with McDavid. That's why there's so many 50-goal scorers around. And it was just, uh, it was just so that there's that kind of in the background too. And hopefully, uh, some uh, some of these voters will uh, see that Leon's got a little bit of sustain to his game. He put another fantastic season on top of the fantastic season he had last season, and uh, you know he won the scoring championship by enough points. So he's going to automatically get some first place votes. And I think I think he'll win, but I think it'll be close. That's my prediction. The narrative changes for every player once they win the Stanley Cup, of course. Yes. Suddenly it changes a lot. And uh, so I did a statistical analysis first where I looked at eight different stats. I won't get into what those stats were. Just to see, if you just go by the numbers and you try to pick the most significant of publicly available numbers uh, for mm-hmm. rating a player, plus a subjective determination of their defensive value mm-hmm. uh, as one of the categories. So these eight eight different categories. And they are things like points and and. Uh, even strength, yeah, plus, nice plus minus relative to team. And I'm just trying to end percentage of goals that you're in on for your own team, things like that. So in, in 2017, 18, the, the winner would have been McDavid and then Drew and Malkin would have been the two finalists. And this year, the three finalists would be dry, subtle, Pasternak and McDavid. So I know there's a huge, uh, the, the most vocal, uh, contingency is out there for Artemi Panarin. But if you just go by the numbers and, and you, you just like, I just, plug these numbers in i'm using the same numbers that i used in 2017 18 and and panarin really wasn't that close he, he's not you know there was a few categories where he was pretty lacking he's not much of a power play performer it turns out this year compared to the other even. guys he's really good at great even. at evens fantastic by far the highest even strength points per 60 which was one of my categories um but his plus minus relative to the team that he was on wasn't out of this world and i, I you know and Brian Burke said this, and I'll hide behind his authority because he's saying, come on, he's a winger, and you can't compare a winger defensively to a center. And, and if you don't understand that about hockey, and I think I said this last week, if you don't understand that the center and the wing, like it's just two fundamentally different positions, and the center position is way, way, way harder, then you don't understand anything about hockey, honestly. And so, you know, Panarin doesn't have a reputation as being the Bob Gainey of wingers either. So um, Leon Dreisaitl, though, is the guy that kills penalties and is out there on the f- uh, five-on-three to kill the penalty. He's the forward chosen. So, yeah. Yeah, I could cite you. I mean, you talk about all those first star games. I could cite you three different games this year. 
mm-hmm. where the Oilers eventually wound up winning 4 nothing or 4-1, I think, in each case, where each time they were two men short uh, in the first sack period or early in the second when the score was 0-0 or 1-0 or down, even game on the line for, you know, a minute, minute plus, and Leon came out, and the Oilers killed off that three-on-five, and then from there they gradually took over the game. I mean, that's narrative for you because it's not going to show up on the score sheet. But it was a game turner in all three of those games, and you know that's that's an element that you will not find three or even one example on the uh, 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 the narrative about Artemi Panarin, and I don't think you will for Nathan McKinnon either. Yeah, the wingers are the strikers of hockey, and the centers are the central midfielders, and um, the central midfielders in, in, in football and soccer just have a Absolutely fundamental defensive role, and so do the centers in hockey. Uh, Bruce, I think all of this is going to really fuel McDavid in the playoffs, and we touched on this last time, but I was listening to um, Elliot Friedman's podcast from this Wednesday, uh, and he was talking about how he thinks McDavid's going to be a house on fire in these playoffs, and he's thinking that because these slights, you know, not getting the votes, not getting the votes in the MVP, and he was comparing it to the Michael Jordan um, <laughs> thing that just aired on Netflix is fantastic series documentary series on Michael Jordan, and I can see uh, aspects of Jordan's personality when I see McDavid, um, his edginess and his mm-hmm. compe- competitive drive. I can see elements of that, and yeah. So Friedman is predicting that we're going to see the same kind of he's McDavid's going to use this as fuel to rocket him forward in the playoffs, and he's going to be a, a quote a house on fire in the playoffs. I think that's highly likely, highly likely. And I, I, I'm not, I don't know McDavid at all, just going from what I see on TV, but he what just looks like the kind of guy. Highly likely is that he's going to be physically in a lot better shape in, in uh, August than he was in March even. Mm-hmm. You know, like he played all season on that bum wheel and he and he had, he got, he got banged up there, missed a few games, got sick a bit, you know, and, and missed a game. And, I can imagine that in the time he was off, he was hitting the gym probably almost as hard as he did in that uh, in that video of you know whatever it takes last summer, and I would imagine that his knee is a lot closer to to 100% than it probably was throughout the season. That's exciting to think about. It you is. Know, I, and the other thing is with Chicago, they haven't had particularly good injury news. There's been very little negative injury news with the Oilers, but Chicago, um, key defenders, and this is a defense that couldn't stand to lose any players because it's not very good, but their second pairing, Connor Murphy and Calvin DeHaan were both out. DeHaan was actually injured. He's coming back from injury, but then he he had a family emergency and he missed a week of practice. Murphy was unfit to play, so he missed a lot of time. Jonathan Taves, yeah, whatever it means, it's probably not probably not there's only two cases of covid for odds are it wasn't uh covid 19 mm-hmm. jonathan taves their center missed uh i think three two and a half practices this week as well so and then there, of course there's the crow Corey crawford who is yet to appear so chicago's in a little bit different position uh right now there's nothing you know other than crawford these other things are might not mean anything might not be significant but the crawford thing is ongoing and it's really significant because they will be going with essentially two a ahl nhl tweeners in net if they do not have him in net 
because they traded away Robin Leonard. So that's bad news for the Oilers, of course. But as as I said last last time, because we can't that's be back up bullies. Well, unless this guy Delia turns out to be the second coming of Andy Moog or, or uh, uh, Ken Dryden, you know, where they call a guy up from the minors and he's on fire, he's Craig Bennington, right? Uh-huh. I mean, but uh, obvi- obviously their best chance lies with uh, the veteran stopper, Corey Crawford, and him having missed this much camp is going to put him somewhat behind the eight ball. And I heard some rumblings from Chicago that they were still hopeful they were going to see the guy, but there sure isn't much news on why he's not there now, whether it's a family issue, whether it's an injury issue, whether it's a COVID or some other thing. Uh, some people say that maybe he's opted out and they just chose not to announce it yet, but I don't think that's possible. I think all the guys who were going to opt out had to basically declare way back, you know, when, when Mike Green declared, like last Monday, 10 days ago. Maybe they'll give them some wiggle room. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so Delia is 26 years old, and um, uh, he played three years of college hockey, where he was, a, you know, he's a good goal in college hockey. Then he's in Rochester. His safe, Rockford, his safe percentages in consecutive seasons in the HL are 900, 922, which is really good, and 912, which isn't bad this past mm-hmm. year in 32 games. And in 16 games for the Blackhawks in 2018-19, he played, he had a 908 save percentage. Malcolm Subban, who is the other possibility, mm-hmm. he was in, he played 20 games in Vegas this year, had an 890 save percentage. Ouch. Uh, the year before that, he had, in 21 games, he had a 902 save percentage. And in 22 games the year before that, he had a 910 save percentage. So, a former first-round draft pick, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, he's also with 26. But, yeah, uh, he went to Vegas, and he's only it was only ever their number two, and they were increasingly unhappy with him. And I guess those save percentages tell us why, because they've been plummeting. And 890 is uh, is definitely substandard. And they they of course got him back in the Robin Leonard deal where they basically the two sides basically switched their arguably their number twos but uh chicago had you know a strong two-man tandem with leonard and crawford and and vegas was was thoroughly reliant on one man mark andre Fleury, and now they've got a, a healthy competition in net there in vegas we may yet see robin leonard of course at some future date but we won't see him playing for chicago yikes Mm. Yeah. Um, Bruce, there's one final little controversy in Chicago. Like there, there, There's some talk, there's some crossed wires between um, what Elliot Friedman has reported and what Jonathan Taves is saying. Friedman said that Taves voted against the Chicago and, and Taves voted against the um, NHLPA. They're one of two teams, Chicago and I think Carolina, mm-hmm. one of two teams to vote against the, the deal, the NHL-NHLPA deal. And then, but Taves was saying this week that no, he he in fact voted in favor of it. Now, th- there's a confusing factor, a confounding factor in here, in that there was two different votes. Right. So it could well be that that Taves, on behalf of after after talking to all his teammates, right. on behalf of his teammates, voted. Mm-hmm. Friedman could be right that Chicago and Taves voted against it, but in the actual vote, as an individual, right. Taves voted. This is what I think is likely going on. So no. let's just. Leave. But but the interesting thing to me is in this whole thing is this Bruce not the not the controversy which I think is just a misunderstanding, it's that Chicago 
voted against the deal. How motivated are they? Is the question I have. Yes, I love. I is it, that's what. So how like are we putting too much on that? Because because I was thinking, oh, that's really good news that these guys, these rich fat cat Chicago players, you know, this is me being very hopeful, uh, who have made their fifty million dollars in the NHL. They they can't. They don't even want to come back and play in the playoffs. That's very good news. So that's. <laughs> That thought popped into my head. How how crazy is that, Bruce? Well, it's it's crazy, but it's a crazy year and it's a crazy situation. I mean, I've made the point I think before, so I won't belabor it. But a team that wins in the, uh, in the play-in series has a one in sixteen chance of winning the Stanley Cup, assuming they're as good as the other remaining teams. And a team that loses in the play-in round has a one in eight chance of landing Alexis Lafreniere. So there really is uh, more of a mixed. Um, motivation uh underlying motivation and then there usually is not not that the players necessarily care about the next year's draft choice but you know it's it's a factor that's in you know management decisions to some degree and and uh and so on but i i think i won't necessarily single out chicago but somewhere in here there's going to be a team or two that comes into this opening round and they get behind the eight ball early in the series and they're going to see that exit sign out at this corner of the building and think, you know, we're out of here. You know, one more loss and we're out of here. Is that the worst thing that can happen? You know, and and once you get players and teams, you know, starting to think like that, I mean, they got one foot out that door. Like I say, I won't say it's going to happen in this series, but some series you're going to see it where some team goes down and out quickly and they're happy to be out of there, or many of the players are. Yeah, it was. It's just a little. If I was, it, listen. If I had heard that the Edmonton Oilers, as a group, if they were one of the teams that had voted against coming back, mm-hmm. as a fan I'd of the team, worried. I would be worried. I mm-hmm. would be worried. Hundred percent. That these their hearts aren't in it for some reason. I, you know, that like that. May and maybe this is not fair. Maybe that would be completely a business thing. They're they're voting on the return to play and the the CBA, the new CBA. And maybe there are things in this new CBA that the Chicago players just thought were were toxic or something that, you know, they couldn't live with. So it might not be, but they were all balled in together as one. And yeah, if the Oilers had voted against it, I'd think, what's wrong with our team? Like, yeah. why? <laughs> Especially because well, that's 29 other teams are voting in favor of it. Mm-hmm. What You guys don't want to play, seriously? So that's my thought on, on that. The Seattle Kraken. Kraken? Mm-hmm. Kraken? Kraken. Kraken. The Seattle Kraken, I Bruce, I loved the crest. What did you think of it? Uh, oh, the crest is good. The colors are good. It's not often you see a, 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 at least a home uniform with zero white on it at all. It's all shades of blue and a little blob of red here, and you know, and, and uh, it's quite a pretty. And the and the crest is uh, the crest is very striking, and it has sort of multiple meanings built into it. Like that, somebody put a lot of thought and effort into that. The name, the Kraken, at Mayor may not um, resonate with everyone. There's going to be lots of mispronunci- mispronunciation. People are going to call them Kraken. There's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of people cracking jokes about uh, the Crack uh, House okay. being their home arena and the Crackhead being the captain of the team, you know, and and so on. Uh, there's going to be a lot, you know, there's cracking under pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Like, there's going to be no end of those kind of things. Uh, it's what's an individual player for the Kraken called? A Kraken? 
a yeah, well, Krakens because a, a gill, is there, a you know, a tentacle. Is there only one <laughs> mythic kraken? Can there only be one, or could you have like five krakens? <sighs> Uh, Why weren't they the Krakens? Well, I don't know. The Kraken. I mean, Alfred Lord Tennyson's famous poem is, is the called Kraken. The Kraken. Let's just and, see this. Mm-hmm. Kraken. I'll just Google this yeah. and see if there's more than one. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. A, it is. the Nordic sea monster. and uh, Is it Nordic? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. It's Norway. Not uh, Greenland, apparently. Oh, I, so. my, my memory of it was from... Uh, Liam Neeson, I think, is Zeus or someone summoning the Kraken in a in a movie, uh-huh. like on I think it was a Hercules movie or something. So that's why I was thinking it was a Greek thing. Uh, I'm not a Kraken expert, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Bruce, as as I look up the Kraken to see if there was more than one, who do you? The main news for Oilers fans is, the, and the only thing that I like, honestly, I care about is who are we going to lose to this team? Mm-hmm in the expansion draft. So you're thinking about this, writing about this. Who do you think the orders are going to lose? If you had to name one first person right now as your best guess uh, a year from now, who they're going to lose, who is that going to be? Bruce McCurdy. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, what I'm trying to tackle is how they're going to approach their protected list. And uh, I think they're likely going to go, based on what we know now, with protecting four defensemen and four forwards. And they do have such depth of defensemen, even with uh, many of the youngsters, like they don't have to protect uh, Evan Bouchard or Philip Broberg, for example. They don't have to protect any first or second year pro, which is a huge boon to the Oilers and other teams. Uh, but they're going to leave. Uh, uh, they're going to leave some pretty um, uh, some pretty decent players available, uh, including a youngster like Tyler Benson, you know, Uh who I don't see how they're going to be able to protect him. But I guess it, it depends on a couple things. Which way, the, well, what happens in 2021? Which way Ken Holland leans? And then which way the Kraken are going as they're filling out their roster? So they're going to be looking at a few uh, uh, a few nice options on the orders. I mean, Caleb Jones, if he's not protected, they'll snap him up, I would imagine. And they may well take a run at Adam Larson. If the orders don't sign Larson, you know, then uh, it's a bit of a it's a, a bit of a gamble. But if they do sign Larson, then they'll probably not be able to protect Caleb Jones, in which case he'll be the guy. Uh, and there's uh, a couple of half decent options up front also, like Athanasiu, that might be uh, uh, attractive to uh, to Seattle. Who you got for the? Uh, for the guy that's most likely to be lost. Well, I first have to give the Kraken update. The right. uh, it's it's it, in in the Nordic countries it's it's actually Kraken is a translation of the of a Nordic term called half goofa. Okay. And the half goofa are sea monsters. And there's right. in one story there's two of them, two half oh, really? goofa. So there 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 right. are could be more than there could be krakens. Two halves to make a whole, eh? Yeah, half goofas. One, two half goofas makes makes <laughs> one goof. One goofa. <laughs> okay, my pick is is uh, Zach Cassian. Woo. I think um, I think that Adam. I think that they're going to be able to finesse it with with Larson mm-hmm. if they want him to come back, and I think they may want him to come back. Mm-hmm. I think he may want to come back, and so he's a UFA, and they just won't sign him. 
he'll go through the draft and mm -hmm. um, there'll be other more promising people to take than Larson, the rights to Larson essentially, including Cassian or Athanasio as you're suggesting. So I see them going four and four, protecting yeah. Caleb Jones. They don't have to protect Bouchard. They don't have to protect Broberg. Right. So they protect uh, Bear Jones, Nurse Clefbaum, and they sign Larson or not. He's a UFA, but he doesn't go in the expansion draft, and they, they right. sign him or not. And um, so they have four forwards, and it's clear who the four forwards are going to be. They, you know, the magnificent four, yeah, uh, Nugent Hopkins, Drysdale McDavid, and Yamamoto are the four. And mm -hmm. so... You know, I don't think it's going to be pulley RVs a long shot, but I could see them. It depends if they're analytically inclined, the new management or not. If you have a heavily analytically inclined management team, they will lay off Zach Cassian probably. And who knows who they take then? Um, I don't know would they take. Athanasio depends on the year that he has, I guess. Um Fortunately, some analytics people don't believe too much in goals plus minus. If they did believe in that stat, that would eliminate a fantasy. Uh, but, but I think, do we know who the manager is? Ron Francis. Ron Francis. I think Ron Francis is an, has an old-timey enough streak in him, although they were clearly up on, they've got Eric Tulski when he was there in Carolina, the, is the really smart yeah. analytics guy who was there. So he's yep. versed in that, but I, I could see them going for Cassian. And at that point, what will he will have three years left on his deal, Bruce? Yep. And um, He'll be 30 years old, I think, by then too, won't he? But they'll think, yeah, this guy, we could use his protection. We could use his size. And he will be a fan favorite as well. Yeah, he, he will He will get, he will be a, in a, where you got to make a splash mm -hmm. where, and it depends. Maybe they think they're going to be like Vegas and compete right away for the cup. But yeah. but Cassian can help you do that for a year or two. Like I don't think Zach Cassian's contract is problematic until the last couple of years of it. I think in the next couple of years, you want Zach Cassian on your team. I'm sure glad he's going into the Oilers have him going into the playoffs. I mean, he could be a huge factor for Edmonton in the playoffs. But I I think it's going to be, I think the Oilers are going to lose Zach Cassian in the expansion draft. So there you have it. That's and it will be a guess, mournful day for many an Oiler fan, and others will be celebrating because there's a faction that doesn't that really. I think everyone kind of likes the player, almost everyone, but there's a lot of people who don't like that contract too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I put me in that camp. I wasn't too thrilled with the contract and the way things subsequently went down. Uh, it worked out very well for Cassian that he was already locked up uh, on a long-term deal when the uh, uh, when the COVID hit. Because uh, that changed the equation for a lot of free agents this summer. Alrighty, Bruce, I want to end it with one final thing. Okay. There's a person who should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And, and I'm actually kind of shocked that he's not. And that is John Tonelli. John Tonelli was, in my view, after Mark Messier, probably, and I have to... I, I think he may have been the second best power forward in the NHL in the 1980s. He was on the four New York Islanders Stanley Cup teams, and he was, and he wasn't just on those teams. He was he was one of the two or three best players in the playoffs every single time. He was just a force. And in the 1984 Canada Cup, a hugely significant series for Canadian hockey, 
he was one of the best players for Team Canada. He wasn't just on the team. He was an absolute force for Team Canada and in the historic winning goal. Um, mm-hmm. I think he he won the puck in he the corner. Dug it out of the corner, yeah. Put it back to Coffee and put it Coffee put it on net in like a stone dropping out of the mists of eternity or however Ken Brown put it. Uh, Mike Bossy tipped it in. Uh, Bruce, I don't know how that that didn't happen that he's not in there. So I'm just going to say John Tonelli deserves to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Okay, yeah, he missed Cal- He was in Calgary, of course, too, for two years plus a bit, but he got traded out of there just before they went on to win the Cup in 88-89. He was not on that team. They traded him. Uh, uh, he went, I guess he went as a free agent to L.A. in the uh, summer of 88. Yeah. Not shown as a trade. Yeah. So he was, uh, uh, but he was a force in Calgary as well. We saw, we got a belly full of him in that 86 famous Battle of Alberta. Was um, he in that one? Uh, yes, he sure was. They traded for him at the deadline, yeah, and yeah. he had a strong playoffs for them in uh, in '86. He was just a great hockey player. Pretty, pretty indomitable group that uh, Calgary team, and he was part of that. He so, went, yeah. He he took. He was in the Stanley Cup final with that group of players, right? So mm-hmm. there's an, that's yeah. another pretty big accomplishment to mm-hmm. to help drive a team like that. You know, not a great team. Honestly, yeah, he was in the he was in the final six times in seven years. <laughs> Their top score in the regular season was Dan Quinn, you know. And then he so, fell off a cliff in his thirties, but uh, like many power forwards, that's true, and especially guys that have a lot of hundred game seasons along the way because they played deep into the playoffs year after year. Yeah, the body just you know, goes. that was part of the Milan Lucic issue, I think, and definitely we've, we've seen it before for sure. Here's a final one for you. Who do you think is going to score more goals in the playoffs this year, Milan Lucic or James Neal? Oh, well, I, I'm going to go with Neal. I think Neal's going to have a big playoffs. And I'm going to write a post about this. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to have a big playoffs. I think he's going to be really good for the Oilers and um, probably work his way up the lineup uh, into the top six um, by the end of it. I just think... He's a, he's that kind of veteran guy who, for a short period of time, can can absolutely go for it and with the ferocity and intensity and kind of veteran know-how uh, that a younger player might lack. So I'm seeing James Neal good for these playoffs. As for Lucic, uh, I'm, my, my view of his playoffs were seriously colored by his performance in 2017. Uh, with the orders when he really um, didn't come through for the orders in those playoffs. And he was, what, it's three years ago. So three years younger then. Um, uh, so I, I think it's actually quite an easy bet. And I'm, but I am expecting quite a bit from James Neal. He's my... Well, this, this will be Neal's 10th year in a row in the playoffs. Yeah. Which itself is no mean feat. Uh, when it's pretty much a toss-up. You know, I mean, he's been on good teams, obviously, but he's been part of the reason they were good teams, uh, at least all those teams with Calgary. Um, and he's played 104 playoff games, which is the most on the orders, which is why I'm convinced he'll be in the lineup right from the get-go. And he's got 31 playoff goals, which is, again, by far the most on the orders. So in Mike Green's absence, in fact, if you don't include him at all, James Neal's got more playoff goals than the rest of the roster combined. I think now, they'll be playing him. 
Flames fans will come back and say, well, he was so crappy last year that he played four games in the playoffs and then got benched for the rest yeah, of the playoffs. That's true. Yeah. And they'll they'll and that's fair enough. You know, what can I say? The two years before that though, James Neal was on teams that went to the Stanley Cup finals. Yep. And he was like a about a point every second game guy. And that's what I see him doing on the Oilers this year in the playoffs, you know. Uh, kind of a point, throwing in a point every second game and uh, being a really solid player for Edmonton. Alrighty, Bruce. Well, man, we have we have been through now months of this. We've made it through, I think, to the other side. It's safe to say that I think the playoffs are going to happen for sure at this point. And uh, we're going to get some hockey soon, some real hockey. But somehow, Bruce, we found a way to do all these podcasts. Uh, having very little real hockey news to talk about, so I want to thank I want to thank everyone who's uh, stuck with us and listened to these. It's been it's been great to see the response to these podcasts. Everyone listening in and following yeah, okay. along and getting getting some positive feedback as we do from time to time is a motivator for us to keep them coming too. It's, you know, people are desperate for different news and COVID, COVID, COVID all the time, and we're happy to provide that. And uh, at least, you know, food for thought and a uh, little little hockey discussion never goes amiss in this country. You know, the, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, what they call it, the hot stove discussions back in uh, when I yeah. first started watching yeah. hockey. They had the st- hot stove league and uh, I think that's never gone out of style, to be honest. We love our hockey and we love talking sure. it. All right. Thanks again, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.